Good morning, everyone. Uh, once again, my name is Mary Pat, and I am a compulsive overeater. <laughs> and I have, <laughs> I have been a member of this program, or these 12-step programs, for 33 years now. Um, that came as a revelation to me just this week. I realized that um, I was living in New York at the time, and I was an editor for a television show, and I edited five hours of television a week. And um, you're also in charge of continuity, so you have to hold on to the three prior weeks that you're in front of. And um, during that time, I um, felt madly in love with a young man, and um, we were having a complicated relationship. It just wasn't quite settling into anything that I could kind of count on. It seemed odd, and there were lumps and bumps. And um, This went on for about a year, and uh, towards the end of that year, I did a thing that I'd been guided by so many older women never to do, to never tell a man that you love him until he has declared his love. And I did on the phone, which was cowardly, but I was cowardly at the time and shy. And um, there was no response at all. The silence was palpable. And I am, if anything, Irish and an enabler. So I um, fixed it for him. Said, oh, you know, you don't have to say anything now. And that was probably kind of a shock. And, you know, you may not know how you feel. And that's okay. And all right. And okay. And, gee, I should go because it's late. And I should be editing. And tonight. And, you know, well, we'll see each other soon. So that was my part. What happened is in the next couple of months, we were nominated for Emmys for this job. And during that time, I was moving as fast as I could, but I noticed that when we went out, he had started to occasionally drink. And when he drank, his personality changed. And I thought, well, gee, I know enough about alcoholism that um, this is a sign. So I asked him if he thought he might be an alcoholic. And he was very upset by it and said, no, not at all, and, you know, and I was having a beer with him at the time, and I thought, oh, my God, am I an enabler? I'm having a beer with somebody that I think is an alcoholic. And so, anyway, there was that. But there was also, he was calling me, knowing that I put in an 80-hour week. He was calling me at, like, 1 o'clock in the morning and talking for hours on the phone. And um, he had been seeing a therapist, and he, I said, well, well, how was it going with the therapist? He said, oh, I never tell him the truth. And I said, I said, well, that's crazy. That's just crazy. That's the person you should be telling the truth to. He said, well, I tell you the truth. And I said, yeah, but I'm not a therapist. So anyway, that happened. Well, because I got so worried about all of this, I went and uh, went to some AA meetings. And um, I bought the big book. And because I had so little time... I stayed up one night from about midnight to 7 a.m. and read the complete big book, cover to cover. <laughs> Looking for evidence. Am I the enabler here? So, 
Anyway, that meant I did not sleep that day at all because I had to get to my work. I had many hours of work to put in. And then, I think about two or three nights after that, I got a phone call from a dear friend of mine who also knew him. He was doing work at her house. And uh, uh, we were terribly close. And she said that um, he was going into an alcohol clinic, uh, a rehab, which I was thrilled about. But I thought, I wonder, he didn't tell me this. I wonder if he wants me to go. She said, I think he does want you to go. And I said, well, I can't place that phone call. He has to ask me, I think, if he wants me to go to the alcohol clinic with him. But he did. And I went. And it was very complicated because um, he had a lot of possessions and he had a lot of debts. And I said, you know, while we were waiting, I said, well, it's going to be tough for you because there goes all your things. And he said, that's not fair. And she immediately said, you have no right to say a thing like that to him. And I thought, I'm completely out of order here. I seem to be wrong all the time. So I went home from that terribly worried and was up all night stewing about it. So it's now getting me four or five nights and I haven't had sleep. Well, he was in the clinic for a month before he was allowed visitors. And during that time, I kind of calmed down and just did my job and thought, let go, let God. This is God's business now. That he's in God's hands. And then I got a call that he wanted me to come to the clinic with my friend and um, visit because he was allowed visitors finally. So we went to this place, and it happened to be in, in New York, and it was downstairs in the hall. So we sat downstairs waiting, and they were upstairs in a room. And he came out to the top of the stairs and motioned for her to come up first. So I thought, oh, okay, fine. So they went upstairs, and they talked, and were probably there 15, 20 minutes. And then I looked up, and along the balcony came the two of them, holding hands. And they were holding hands, and then they stopped for the longest time and kind of mooned in each other's eyes and swooned. And This was a friend of mine that was married and had children. So I was stunned, to say the least, and heartbroken. It was so fast. And talk about not being able to have your feelings as compulsive overeaters. I didn't even know what they were, much less was able to have them. So then he motioned for me to walk up the stairs, and he didn't touch my hand, and he didn't guide me up at all, and we went into the room, and I was trying to be sane, and, um, you know, how are you doing, and how are things going, and he jumped up, and he came over to me, and he held me so tight in his arms, and what he whispered in my ear was, I told you so many lies. I couldn't think. I could not think. So when we left the building and I went with this girl, I thought, oh, my God, they're in love. They're in love. How long has this been going on? And what kind of, what are the lies? What's he been telling me? And I had been living on not sleeping again and living on cigarettes and coffee. I ate so little food and I drank pots of coffee and I had two phones in my house. One was a red phone for the company I was working for so they could always get through to me and my own phone. And I got home that night and could not sleep. I kept showering. I'd get in the shower and try to calm myself down. Then I'd get out and have a cigarette. And then I'd get back in the shower. And then I'd have a cup of coffee. And I could not sleep. Is there anybody here who has any question about why I couldn't sleep? I was the only one surprised by it. And I began to see visions then. So anyway, what this all is coming to, because I thought you needed that much description, is that is when I entered the rooms. And it is also my first episode of bipolar disorder. I had a complete manic break, was hospitalized, 
And when I went into the hospital, <laughs> they asked me, what are you doing here? And I said, I think I'm here to heal alcoholism. You know, anybody who's an alcoholic, I'm sure you'd be, be pleased with my efforts. I, did, I got nowhere with it. But I was, I did try. I tried. So, um, anyway, I was in that hospital for eight days, and surprisingly, Easter Sunday was when I got out. Uh, and it was really a miracle, because the first thing they told my parents is, in emergency rooms at night in psychiatric wards, you're usually attended by interns. And the interns gave me 15 major injections of narcotics to put me to sleep, and they couldn't get me to sleep. So it was their determination that the psychotic break was so serious it was probably permanent. And they called my sweet mother in Minnesota and told her that they wanted to perhaps airlift me to Minnesota and that I would be locked up for life. Yeah. When I came to in the morning after finally sleeping, I was in a four-bed ward and there were uh, four girls in there and one had her period. Excuse me for being descriptive about this. But uh, she was out of her mind. That's why we were all there. And she had completely painted the bathroom with blood. So when I went into the bathroom, I thought, oh, no. And I was so thin then. I think I weighed 125 pounds then. Um, I thought, I, I've worked in hospitals many years, and all my sisters are nurses. I thought, I can't use these facilities this way. So I thought, well, I... I'm Irish, I'm a cleaner. So I was in there scrubbing the floors and washing them and washing the toilet and the sink and the tub so I could clean up. And I heard my name, Mary Pat, and my final name. And I walked out of the bathroom, and there was a man standing there about six foot two, silver hair, blue piercing eyes. And he was one of the kindest, safest souls I had ever seen. And he said, if I may mention his name, is that inappropriate? Well, anyway, he said, hello, Mary Pat. I'm Dr. Rosenberger, and I'm your doctor. And he said, may I ask you what you're doing? And I explained it. And anyway, I went in with him. Uh, he said, oh, you can't be in this room, and you can't be in this ward. And I said, but I'm crazy, and I'm seeing things. <laughs> and he said, he said, well, I know. And I said, but you're Jewish, and I just saw Jesus Christ in my hallway. <laughs> And he said, he said, that's good. And he said, I understand, I understand. And I said, you, you do? And he said, yeah, I do. And he said, I don't think that you had a nervous breakdown. I think that you have what we call bipolar disease. It used to be called manic depression. And we're going to have to medicate you for that. So anyway, I was in those rooms, and that was my diagnosis. And the miracle of Dr. Rosenberger is he put me in a medical unit with a surgical unit. Uh, for several days, and I was feeling good enough to get out. So I got out of that situation, and I subsequently found out that, yes, these two were deeply in love, and that uh, they had been in a relationship for as long as I'd been in a relationship with them, and I was sort of their beard. So he couldn't let go of me, because he did he did love me in his own way. <laughs> Not helpful. But... Um, I was being used, really, by some friends because they, they needed cover to be able to have the relationship they were having. So anyway, that said, I decided, well, I'm not an alcoholic. I've never had problems with alcohol and stopped going to AA meetings. So what I then did is, and I'll start here, I came to Los Angeles, and um, 
because of the meds I was on in episodes I continued to have and I had them quite publicly while I was working in the field that I work in um, on camera in front of hundreds of people and I'd bark like a dog and howl at the moon and I had all sorts of behavior and this is the best part <laughs> oh my god I cannot believe this I was working with one man who's a doctor and he's a famous doctor and my girlfriend who came with me on this particular job because I couldn't navigate it by myself he wanted to know what was going on with me because yeah, obviously I was manifesting oh tremors and all sorts of interesting things and she told him that I'd gotten out of the hospital because I had ulcers and I said oh my god he is never going to believe this looks like ulcers I have to be fed you have to cut up my food and I've got ulcers and she said well, he's going to believe you don't you say anything so I said alright I won't but it was the oddest thing, and I had subsequent experiences even odder. I had one time where I was really desperately ill, got out of the hospital. It was in front of 400 people, and people that all of you would know and respect and admire. And I got out of the hospital and had to return and redo the piece of work we were doing in front of all those people again. So you can imagine the shape I was in. And I came onto the set and um, was met by a producer and the producer said, I started apologizing immediately I said I'm sorry I'm so sorry I'm so sorry for what happened and she said um, don't worry we've had so and so out for eight days with the flu and so and so out for eight days with the flu you had a complete psychotic break got back in three my money's on you kid <laughs> and I hilarious I said to her, one day, I'm going to wet my pants over that, but it's not today. So anyway, I was able to go and do the job, and uh, because, of, because of an interesting thing, they had once again told these 400 people that I was out with the flu, and they had witnessed what was going on. So I said, well, I bet they hope they never get that. <laughs> So anyway, I walked in the room, and when we completed what we needed to do, and we could move on, and those words were said out loud, all 400 people in those rooms stood and applauded, and I thought, oh my God. Their prayers got me through this, and they're applauding me. Ridiculous. So I applauded all of them and thanked them and moved on. We moved out of that. So anyway, when I came into these rooms, OA, in 2001, my sister, and also 240 pounds, my sister had just, she's a hospice nurse, and she just died of cancer. And being a hospice nurse, she knew when she got her diagnosis at that time, she had large cell B lymphoma, stage 4. And at that time, it was a terminal illness. They had not found a cure for it. So, oh, thank you. Oh, then I'm going to do this faster. Anyway, um, I came into these rooms, and the thing that brought me to my knees was the second step that said could be restored to sanity. 
And that was my highest desire. I'd also like to get rid of some of those 240 pounds. And I have today. I weigh 155, I believe, and I'm going down. And I have gotten clarity that we had, I had no rights to ask for it in my mental health, in my career. Steady on right now. My life is steady on. I do a one-woman show about mental illness to be able to help others. And today I have, according to Dr. Mark Fry, the head of mood disorders at the Mayo Clinic, I am one of his colleagues now, and we work together to try to seek a cure for mental illness. So I could not be more honored or humbled by that, and that is by the grace of God, and the majesty of God, and all the assistance we receive from God. So um, I think that's probably enough said. Thank you very much, and thank you for listening. This is the time for questions only. There, oh, there is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself, if being recorded, and we are. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. If being recorded, please restate the question after it is asked. Questions until 9.35, you will get a five-minute warning. I am asking today, if you ask a question, would you please um, stand and state it as clearly as you can? I have difficulty sometimes repeating them exactly. Okay, thank you. So, do we begin? Okay, does anyone have a question? Yeah. Um, could you talk a little bit more about your family helping you with the eating disorder and the mental health? Absolutely. Do um, you think they heard that? Did you really oh, I'm being asked to talk a little bit more about my family and my friends, uh, how they've been helping me with my eating issues and my mood disorder. Yes. Thank you. Okay, that, it's extraordinary. I've got some of the dearest friends in the world, and my family is a devoted family. We're not uncomplicated. It's an Irish family, and there were six of us, and two parents, and they were complicated, too. Fabulous, but complicated. And we had some issues with rage, which is such a surprise with the Irish. And, um, but they are, if anything, profoundly loyal, and so have my friends been. And I have friends that date back as early as three years old that are still in my life. Uh, these friends have done things that are so extraordinary that my one friend who has a husband who has chronic pain and he spends as many as 15 hours a day in bed took a week off from him and went flying with me to a job I was attending so that she could in fact lie about my ulcers <laughs> she's the only one to get away with it and feed me and dress me and take care of me because my hands were so trembly and I couldn't remember my lines so we had to run them and run them and run them. And her life is big. She's involved with a lot of charities. She did that for me. And there have been other people who have done equally important things like that for me. With my food, everybody knows that I'm in a food program and literally when I go to people's houses, they sometimes call me in advance and say, 
Uh, I've prepared this and it's got no sugar in it. There's going to be white flour on the table, but you don't have to eat it. I've, I've made sure that you've got chicken and salad and the things that you eat. Is there anything else you're doing right now? And I think, how incredible. And also, I find when I work professionally, people check in with me privately and will say, <laughs> this is so funny, I call all the food I can't have poison. So these big long lines of food, I go down and I think poison, poison, poison. Uh, poison, 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 poison. Oh, not So um, there are people who are so cute that when I'm rushed, they'll come up and they'll say, there's a lot of poison here today, Mary Pepper. I think we've got two of you, <laughs> which is pretty dear. Now, I mentioned Dr. Fry, and that's, that's really crucial. Dr. Fry was an intern when I had my first episode in Los Angeles, and we thought maybe I didn't have bipolar disease because I'd gone five years without an episode, and then I got a job. And I had a major episode just before that job on Halloween. So everybody was in costume, and I went, oh, this is going to help. This is going to be so much fun. Well, I got locked up. I was in the psych ward, and all night they were paging, paging Dr. Fry, paging Dr. Fry, who was the intern at the time, the head intern. But what happened to me was, all of a sudden, I looked up from my bed where I was actually resting, which was a miracle, and this devil appeared in my room. It was a devil costume, big, long, black tail, horns, a big pitchfork in his hand, and he looked right at me and he said, Fry, baby, fry. And I went, not two hours later, this lovely man in a lab coat arrived, very tall, terrific looking, with about six interns, because it's a teaching hospital, so the whole team was there, and he walked in the room and he said, good morning, Mary Pat, I am Dr. Fry. And I, of course, went, <gasps> and I immediately went to my window and started looking down, and I was about 12 stories up in UCLA Neuropsychiatric. And everybody was moving around, and I started pointing at people, and when I pointed at them, they'd stop. So I noticed that there were all these cars coming in and going out, so I started manipulating these cars and everything and moving them all around. And then all of a sudden I thought, oh, this is an abuse of power, you're not supposed to stop traffic. So I turned to him, and all of a sudden when I turned to him, he was lit up like my original doctor, Dr. Rosenberg, and I thought he's going to be okay. And he was. He has followed me from his internship to now being the head of mood disorders at the Mayo Clinic. And he consults with people all over the world. And he does what they call CMEs, Continuing Medical Education, for anybody who doesn't know. And doctors have to attend a certain amount of these in a two-year period to be recertified. And he invites me to come and do my show for them. And I couldn't be more honored. So, and then we have a nice meeting with all these prestigious, wonderful docs that I'd never meet in my lifetime because I couldn't afford them, sitting on stage with me, and I get to talk to them as colleagues. It's heaven. Heaven. Absolute heaven. So that's how I get helped in the medical community. So it's extraordinary help and a lovely question. Thank you. Yes, Diane. Could you please talk us through how you work the steps? Yes. Because <laughs> I didn't? Okay. 
Step one, I'm going to have to look at them just because of all this. I think it's in how it works, right? Okay, so step one. <laughs> Clearly, I was pouring silver food. I weighed 240 pounds. So I have a sponsor. I do meditation and prayer. I attend meetings. I take a service position at every meeting that I attend because I've learned so much about money being the treasurer. I have learned a tremendous amount of um, care and detail being secretary, um, technology being timer, and really. And um, let me see what the other positions are. I have been... Well, I've done them all, and I've learned from every one of them, and I'm grateful. So I'd say that's step one for me. And I found uh, a sponsor right away. I've had two or three sponsors, and I selected every one of them because they had mastery that I could see in humility and integrity. And I thought I needed some mastery in it since we Irish also exaggerate and confuse things, so I could use some straightening that out. I came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Well, I guess that's pretty clear in my case. I've had so much help with that. I did have to find a, um, a better God. I was raised Catholic, staunch Catholic. My father was a convert, and my mother spent some time in that convent. So we were taught a very staunch form of Catholicism. I have nothing, there's nothing wrong with Catholicism. I think every spiritual program that you can hit, all, or certainly almost all of them, are a path to God. But I think that you have to clarify the wreckage that's in their misinterpretation. And that's been a long, hard haul for me, and I'm sure that will be a lifetime mission. Um, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. I did that right away. I was already in surrender. Made a searching and, <laughs> and this is cute. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. I used to think that was searching and ruthless. <laughs> <laughs> So I did a searching and ruthless three times. <laughs> Forgive me, I have dry throat. Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of wrongs. I have done that and do that with a sponsor. And I write it all down. Um, that's really important for me to do that. And I, well, not, on, not only writing, I find that when I read my four stuff, I've always got more writing. And we'll probably always have more writing. So it gives me an opportunity to admit again. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. That's a tricky one. You're entirely ready is what you know at the time. So I am happy to have the defects of character removed, I'm aware of. And then I get the pleasant surprise of, you know, they use this... Uh, adage of an onion being peeled layers. Well, this is a big onion, and it's dense, and I don't think I'm at the core yet, and this is 33 years, but that's what I do. I just keep peeling. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. I've had a wrestling match with that sometimes because I didn't know if I should... Uh, approach them or not, but I have a lovely sponsor once again, and sometimes we figure out the biggest apology really is to myself, and it's time to just let it go. And if it's not, then I write a letter or I meet them in person and speak to them. Um, can continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admit it. Well, I come from an 
<laughs> from a state that apologizes for everything. So I'm apologizing in front of the problem. But when I think it really does require a personal apology, I do it. Sought through prayer and meditation to prove our conscious contact with God as we understood and praying only for knowledge of His will. That is tricky, His will. That serenity prayer is one of the most exquisite prayers on this planet. And if you say it sincerely, it's everything. It's everything. I love it. I just, I don't have my uh, radio on in my car, and that's what I do all day. Let go, let God, in the serenity prayer. And in Los Angeles, you have plenty of opportunities to do it. <laughs> Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to care carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And that is what I'm doing today. That's, that's the, the task, if you're ever invited to speak, is um, if you've had a spiritual awakening, and I believe I have, or certainly the beginnings of one, that I share it to the depth that I've got it. So thank you. Thank you for the question. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Thank you, Mary Pat, for uh, sharing so honestly and openly. Uh, I wonder if you would talk a little bit about your new relationship with God and how that comes about every day for you. Well, thank you for that. Because I, I think I'm not repeating the questions. I'm just disobedient. <laughs> the question is my new... Um, experience. Thank you. My new relationship with God, my spirituality, and how I experienced that. Now, I, now I'm going to be personal. This is not for anybody else. It's for me. Years ago, I had some friends who made some exquisite angels, all hand-done. Quite beautiful. They were going to start a doll company. But it became so expensive that by the time they completed them, they were $1,000 apiece. And to support their company, I gave them $10,000, so they gave me 10 angels. I use those angels when I speak um, uh, professionally about my experience with bipolar disease. They are hanging in my bedroom as we speak and have been for days because I'm preparing to do the show again. And they represent my family to me. They represent spiritual guides that I believe in. I believe in archangels. I really believe in them. I had an experience in New York one time where an archangel assisted me when I saw a man brutalizing a woman and I took it upon myself to handle the situation. And um, I went up to the man and I grabbed him by the throat. He was six foot one and at that time I weighed 150 pounds. And I grabbed him and punched him up against the wall and I said, as my father would say, and forgive my language, I said, look you son of a bitch, you've drawn blood, that's the worst you can do. And I threw him up against the wall and I thought, the power left me then and I thought, Oh my God, oh my God. He's six feet tall, he's African-American, and this little white girl just choked him and threw him up against a wall. Well, he looked so frightened it made me laugh. I thought, you ought to be frightened, because he had been holding a girl by her bangs and smashing her head against a brick wall. And when I saw blood, I saw blood. So I went into, uh, well, anyway, that's unnecessary. So that was my higher power at the time. I thought, maybe there are angels, because I feel like an angel took a hold of me. And I had the power of an archangel with that guy. And I always wonder to this day what he saw when I did that. I bet he did not see me. I bet he saw something powerful. So there's that. I believe in it because I've experienced it. God is something to me that's so majestic that that's, my com that's really my concept of it. I've tried 
all sorts of things. I've drawn pictures, and it is elusive to me because it's exquisite and it's personal. And I believe with all my heart, we are all emanations of God. We all have a spark of God in us, and we must remember that in all our dealings with one another. Tricky, 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 tricky. Now, I always tell my, my, my favorite spiritual advisor, I said, I still haven't gotten to a point of where I can hug Hitler. And he said, yeah, that's a big one. And I said, it's a real big one. If that's an emanation of God, I'm not crystal clear on what that's about yet. But if everybody's an emanation of God, then everybody's an emanation of God. It's just all in all. So anyway, thank you. Does that answer your question? My pleasure. Any other questions? Yes, my darlings. Stand up. I have an excuse. You talked about the mental illness as like a foundational place from whence your mental health, your recovery, and your spirituality comes. Um, do you see your compulsive waiting as uh, comparably uh, rooted in your fabric? And because you wear the, 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 the uh, spiritual part of recovery incredibly. Uh, I wonder if, if, if your disease, even sort of disease, is also foundational in all that you do and all that you it is indeed. Can you repeat that? Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, five minutes. I can't even repeat that, but you spoke so clearly, you win. You get the prize. I got a gold star for you. What I would say about this is, I believe with all my heart again that your wounds are your gifts. And if you can get behind that, they're gifts. If you cannot get behind your wound being a gift, it's just a wound. And then you've got to deal with that. So, and I have trouble with that too. I manifest wounds sometimes and I think, I haven't gotten me a gift of that one yet. And also I had somebody who profoundly blocked um, my career at one point. Uh, stopped it, as a matter of fact, uh, by revealing what was going on with me to people and they didn't hire me. And um, that person is deceased. He's probably one of my greatest heroes. He got me into action in a way I never have been. I'm now an advocate. I cleared up the problem. It cannot be done anymore. You lose your position. And Americans with civil disability will come after you. And I can call them, and they will. So, yes. Anybody else have a question? You've got a couple of minutes. Or we could just take time to say the serenity prayer. Mm -hmm. Um, That period when you felt like you were not able to work, whatever, how did you get through that? Were you in program at the time? And what did you do to get through that? I was on a mission, but I wasn't in program at the time. So what I did is I went to uh, my union. They saw what the problem was and how complex it was. And... I said, I'm not going to reveal what I know. I'm just going to stay with this person and see if he does what he threatened he would do and gather evidence. And I said, they said, okay, then we have to put you in contact with our labor lawyers. And I met with all the labor lawyers. And they said they would keep an eye on the situation. But when the moment came, I was supposed to work a job, and they called me and said, uh, the producers want to meet with you. I said, oh, do they? I said, it is over the question of mental health on the physical exam. 
And this poor secretary said, I have no idea. And I said, okay, okay, fair enough. I said, would you go to them and tell them, because I was supposed to start this job at 8.30 the next morning. So I said, you go to them and you tell them that I would be more than happy to meet with them, but that I'd like them to know and I'll be bringing a labor lawyer with me. Then I laid down on my bed and thought, oh my God, how will I get a hold of the labor lawyer? I can't believe I just did that. I can't believe I just did that. They called me back in 40 minutes and said, we found it unnecessary. And I thought, there you go. Because the physical reads, in the past two years have you had a heart attack? In the past two years have you had a problem with your diabetes? Have you ever been hospitalized for mental illness? And I thought, gotcha. That's illegal. And it's, it's removed now. Not necessarily me. There were a lot of people that worked on that. Because when I do my show, those labor lawyers showed up, and so did the entire guild and the president. And they listened, and I think they heard that and went, got them. And they went and got them, so I didn't have to do it. But I like to think that anyway, I set a fire. <laughs> Any other questions? What time are we at? Yes. Yeah. Do you have a... <laughs> I do. I do several prayers, always the serenity prayer. I say prayers to my angels that are hanging. I, um, I, I always have an abstinent meal. That's part of my spiritual thing, too. Um, it's the thing that I do every morning. And um, I light candles to a couple of things that I believe in that are the benevolent spirits that I believe guide me. Thank you for your question. Are we good? Have we got a minute? Can we say the serenity prayer, brother? Would everybody like to do that? Who would like to leave? Ellie, would you leave? Sure. Thank you. God, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can. And the wisdom to know the difference. I will not mind be done. <laughs> amen, amen. Now let's see where we go from here. Boy, next up the book. Are we done?